Hey, buddy, do you want to say a few words about this show before uh, people give it a listen? Yeah, I want to encourage everybody, if they want to uh, to learn more about the uh, Albums Are Dead podcast, to go to albumsaredead.com or visit us on twitter.com slash albumsaredead, on Facebook, again, slash albumsaredead, and uh, where else? We're on Instagram, uh, and if you look for Albums Are Dead on Instagram, how about that? We'll also be there. We're also on iTunes and Spotify. On most podcatchers, if you type in Albums Are Dead, uh, you're going to find us. Tell me, uh, do we make money doing this show? We do not make any money doing this show, and uh, all the songs that we play on the show are for preview purposes only, so make sure to go and support the artists. Even if they don't need support, it's still the right thing to do. Go uh, stream their music legally or buy the tracks, because uh, we want to keep above board, folks. All right, folks. Uh, with all that being said, I think we should get to our episode. What do you think? Let's do it! I don't even know what else to say. Um, what can you say about it? It's a fucking monster album. Like, it's unbelievable how big a deal it was. Highest recommendation from me. Very, very monumental album for me growing up. Definitely um, uh, one of my favorites of all time. One of my favorite albums of all time. It doesn't get much better than this. Pick up this album if you haven't listened to it. You know, I, I complained about a couple tracks, but all that notwithstanding, uh, an absolute uh, classic. A big deal for me, kind of what exactly what I wanted musically at the time. This album is a monster. I give it a high recommendation. Loved it. Loved this album so much. It's probably one of the more important albums of my life. I mean, this is pretty epic in terms of albums that uh, that we've enjoyed. It definitely stands up today. It's such a great fucking album. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Yes, one of my all-time favorites. Love talking about it. Two thumbs up. Great listen. Add it to your collection because it's worth it. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's our show, folks. What the fuck is this? Uh, we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> uh, you put some work into that intro. Yeah, you know, um, big big thanks to uh, to our Mixcloud archive, which made it quite easy to just uh, scrub through to to the parts where we talk about what we about our kind of our final thoughts as we've gone through the previous thirty five episodes. Uh, it's Albums Are Dead. We're on episode 36. I am one of your pals. My name is Slip with five eyes or Slip. Dirty ass Slip. I am at Megamix.com. It's, you know what? I almost forgot how to do this show. It's been a few weeks. Uh, it's been like three or four weeks. Uh, and, and I think we've had these episodes kind of prepped. We just haven't uh, We just haven't gotten around to coordinating our super busy and awesome lives. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, we're doing things a little differently tonight uh, on, on this episode. Uh friends and uh i'm really looking forward to it all right well you took the lead on this so uh tell me what are oh. we doing on this show where we normally would cover a different album every week yeah that's usually what we do we usually uh take a look uh break down an album usually a good album uh for the most part i mean we've been pretty much almost in agreement about the awesomeness of the albums that we have uh, talked about in the previous 35 episodes, but uh, we're going to flip the script a little tonight. Oh boy. And, uh, you know, I, I've always, you know, we, I mean, most people will, will like to pride themselves on being, you know, I listen to such good music. <laughs> the music I listen to is the best. I'm, I'm so cool because of the music I listen to. Well, we're going to lay it all bare tonight. I, I'm going to, I'm going to put it all out there. Uh, 
and we're going to I'm going to take a look at 20 different albums that I bought with my money over the years uh-huh. that were fucking terrible. <laughs> with your own money, I'm assuming, too, at some points when you say with your own money, like, you know, as an adult, largely you had money to burn. But are there any that you bought with money when it was scarce? No, but these do not include. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some of these, yeah, when I was younger. Yeah. And uh, I say with my own money because, you know, I don't, I'm not going to count. Uh, things that I received, things that I received for free when I was reviewing college, because there was some fucking doozies there, but I don't count them because I didn't buy them. Um, I'm not counting. Uh, I'm not counting. Uh, um, uh, you know, any, anything that I didn't buy myself. Um, I guess you know, it's a little different now. I mean, albums. It's a different game now, right? I mean, you're very rarely going to going to purchase a whole album. Uh, and be like surprised when it's bad. Well, yeah, you can you can preview albums a lot more easily, uh, especially on shows like this where we play music for preview purposes only. Yes, indeed, and uh, you know, like at least through the last decade or so, it's been a lot easier to to uh, kind of siphon out the bullshit. But um, I'll tell you, between in my in my in my album buying times since I bought Tiffany back in 1987 or 88 or some shit. Uh, through till, you know, today, I mean, you know, uh, for a time there, uh, an album was a commitment. It was, uh, it was, you know, 20, 20 bucks plus of your hard earned money going into a physical copy for the most part. And, uh, and you kind of, you know, you would have, especially back when we were younger, I mean, you could, you could hear a song here and there on the radio or, or on, or on, uh, much music or MTV or whatever the fuck. You could, at certain music stores, listen to albums at listening stations, but uh, for the most part, there was there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of luck involved in, in choosing albums. And I've got some good stories about some terrible albums that I've purchased, um, and uh, it it goes across the board. I mean, we get span from you know my early uh, music buying days uh, right through mostly. I mean, mostly through the early two thousands. Though I did put, a, I do have a couple, one from 2005 and one from 2011. Nice. So, um, and, and uh, you know, I've talked a little bit on our, on our sister podcast, Mezzanine Sleepover. Go to mezzaninesleepover.com for more. Uh, we've talked about a few of these um, albums, uh, some, some, one of them in depth and, and others not so much in depth, but I've mentioned them. They're from bad albums. And, um, you know, it's really, this is kind of the walk of shame uh, for the old mega mix. All right, so before we get into this, uh, yes, have you seen them? Just kidding. Uh, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Let me take a quick look at my um, at my list here. Hang on one second. All right. Fuck. Let's see here. Uh, no, yes, I've seen one. Um, I'm I'm gonna say that I've seen two of these uh, artists. All right. Um. So my real question is. Yes. Before we go into the albums themselves, what would you say would be the number one reason why you would have purchased a shitty album? Uh, 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 like taking uh, what we just discussed, like ignorance of what's on the album aside, what what would make you prompt? What would have prompted you to buy an album without knowing what kind of shit you were actually picking up? Uh, well, we're gonna get into this, and we're gonna get into it deep. I mean, there's a few reasons. I mean, it can be um, a terrible uh, album by an artist that you would like. Yes, I got a couple of these. Um, and that, you know, you just, I, I gotta get it. And even if I have heard, I've heard maybe, maybe the single's okay. 
and you buy it because like what the fuck uh, there is um i was young <laughs> and and i bought it because i thought it'd be cool there was there was um there is a lot of oh hey i'm just buying everything at this point in my life uh-huh Sometimes you know what yeah. I got I got sucked into that. Sometimes so on Tuesdays on on yes. new release day. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you would go in and you'd pick up a couple of albums but like maybe maybe the whole wasn't as epic as you'd like. Like you yeah. you wouldn't feel good if you uh if you didn't walk out with an epic haul. So you're like, "Oh, you know what? I'll just grab one more." <laughs> I'll just grab one yeah. more CD. And you know what? Sometimes that worked out and sometimes it didn't. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it re- yeah, sometimes it really didn't. <laughs> and some of them are head scratchers, even to this day. Um, those are pretty much it. I mean, it's got to be established artists that you like, and you just don't know what you're getting into because uh, you you know you may not have heard much. Um, the other would be um, just being young and dumb, uh, and like I said, buying everything and being not so discerning with your music. Uh, whereas now you can just you can be discerning, and it doesn't matter. Um, but but yeah, I would say back in that you know 2000 2001. Just buying anything you can get your dirty mitts on, like a like an idiot. Yes. And so there is a lot of that in this in this show with with the worst albums I've ever purchased. So it's it's really going to be a, a sobering account by me. All right. Well, we got twenty to go through. Uh, for those of you that don't listen to our sister podcast, The Mezzanine Sleepover, the format that we do this in is we'll play a little bit of the song and then talk over it. And uh, yes. the other thing is that when these tracks are, are fed to me, they're fed uh, with generic titles. So I will be as surprised as everyone else. Yeah, I did tease one of them on Twitter today. So you did see that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's terrible. Um, yeah, I'll break. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about each album. Uh, for a lot of these, there's some uh, charting information, of course. And uh, I'm, I'm, I found a lot of good uh, negative reviews of these albums. It's going okay. to be fantastic. All right. Should we start off with uh, album one? Oh, my God. I don't even know if I want to start. Like, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, oh, God damn it. But yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's go back to 1990 with this, with this doozy. Oh, no. <laughs> also bought this. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. Oh, just give it a second. Yep. Oh, wait, it's a long fucking intro. It really is. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Scrub it for a second. Scrub it. No, no come on. Okay. Because we're going to get a surprise right away here. We, I think it's. Yeah, it's right here. Alright. Uh, <laughs> start! 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 The Simpsons, with their album, um, The Simpsons Sing the Blues. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yes, I bought this album uh, uh, in and around early 91. It came out in De- on December 4th, 1990. Um, and uh, here's, here's a few stats. Uh, the Simpsons Sing the Blues peaked at number three on the Billboard 200. Jesus. On uh, January 26th, 1991. Do you want to know what was number one that week? Uh, 1991. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. Who what was? Uh, Vanilla Ice is to the extreme. Oh, what, what, what? Do you know what was number two? Uh, no, I don't actually. I uh, didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't mark that down, uh, unfortunately. But listen, I do know what number 183 was. Would oh, you like to know what that was? <laughs> what was it? 
the uh, Graffiti Bridge soundtrack by Prince. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, Simpson sings the blues. Overall, it spent 39 weeks on the chart. Uh, in the end, it was certified double platinum in the U.S. Uh, in February '91, uh, and to date, it sold over two million copies worldwide, or two million copies in the U.S. I apologize. Um, this song that we're listening to—that's absolute garbage. Do the Bart Man. Yep. Uh, hit number one in the U.K. in February '91. Stayed there for two weeks and was certified gold after selling uh, 400,000 copies. Uh, written of the single song written by who? It is a writer. It's it's like a guy that wrote music with Michael Jackson. Yes. Yeah. So, so might... one of his 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 friends. Yeah. I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> uh, awful, awful. Uh, the Bartman. There's act. There's a part of this song in the music video. Yes. Where uh, he does like this dance, and our oh. friend and our friend Dennis Penis used to like to do the dance. Oh my god. I don't uh, even remember the video. I remember I don't even know why I bought this album. I remember it because uh they aired it they aired it before like an episode of The Simpsons. Like uh, The Simpsons was gonna come on and uh they aired this video for like three minutes before they went into the show to to kind of launch this. Well I remember not really watching The Simpsons but being intrigued by this song. Yeah. And uh so that's what kind of got uh, got my ears. And of course, you know, I don't buy the like cassette single. I buy the album on oh, tape. Here we go. <laughs> so the album, of course, not just do the Bartman. There are plenty of other songs. The album features covers of songs by Chuck Berry, Albert King, Billie Holiday, and Randy Newman. Oh, I know, right? The second single was called Deep Deep Trouble. Yep. And featured DJ Jazzy Jeff on it. Other guests... Dexter, B.B. King, Joe Walsh, and Dr. John. So lots of celebrities uh, on Simpsons Sings the Blues. Uh, I have a choice review for you. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. Uh, People Magazine in 1991 had this to say. Yes, of course, the first single, Do the Bartman, will be a novelty hit. Written by Brian Lauren. Well, there's his name. I, I did have it after all. It is a white bread rap featuring Nancy Cartwright's vocals, reeling off tales of Bart's mischievous ways. <laughs> The singers who also do the show's voices merit a nice round of only faintly sardonic applause, but there's too little decent music to disguise the fact that the sound of cash registers going ching is what producer John Boylan and cohort had in mind, not music or comedy. Uh (laughs) So a bit of a scathing review. My thoughts are it's novelty trash of the highest order. Uh, It's very cringeworthy to listen to, um, and it's not worth the uh, 15 to 20 bucks I probably shelled out for it at the time. Yeah, but good for the Simpsons, right? Trying to, I mean, you have to put yourself back in uh, that those days, yes. 89, 90. You, you slap yep. those ugly faces on anything and they would sell. Well, let me, and let me clear this up, is that um, I'm not including albums that I liked back then. No. Like, I didn't like this. I was like, what the fuck is this? It's got Do the Bartman, which is mildly interesting, but the rest is absolute junk. And uh, like, like you know, I, I liked a lot of shitty albums when I was younger, but I legitimately liked them. This I didn't legitimately like. So uh, thumbs down for me. That's my first uh, entry. And uh, you had it. What are your thoughts? Uh, pretty much the same thing. Like I, yeah. uh, I liked, I liked to do the Bartman, and I liked, uh, I liked Deep Deep Trouble. Like when they oh, came yeah. out as a single, I'm like, that makes sense. I was eleven. <laughs> <laughs> at the time we're 12 at the time yes. so you know yeah. uh but there are there are other things like there there's can you imagine like homer 
singing seriously. And this is this is like original Homer, where yep. he's like kind of kind of funny, but still kind of sensible. Yes, just not good, not good at all. So yeah, I was about the same. It was it was worth it for two tracks, and of course, I bought it on cassette tape. So yep. you'd have to like fast forward through all the bullshit. Oh, I know, right? It's even worse. It's a little less money, but it's all not worth the time. Or like so. the, the Lisa song, just like Lisa episodes of The Simpsons. Skip it. <laughs> yes. So anyways. I love it. Uh, now we're going to jump. Um, sorry, I keep, my phone keeps uh, going to uh, like, like uh, uh, locking and it's annoying. Um, so I'm going to pull up the iPad for my notes after this. Uh, let's jump ahead to uh, 1991 to uh, one that you you and I both are very familiar with. <laughs> Zip. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the zipper sound is amazing. Oh come on! Anyway, get into the no because you got to hear the first fucking intro. You got to hear the first, uh, yeah. the very first lyric. First line. Here we go. This here's a jam for those who be sexing. All right, <laughs> like th- this guy who his biggest song is this is a jam for all the fellas. Yes. Well, this one's now a jam for those who be sexing. All right. What is this? Uh, this is Young MC. Uh, the track is Keep It in Your Pants. Uh huh. Um, the album Brainstorm. Um, released August 13th, 1991. Um, we covered this album on episode 26 of our sister podcast, The Mezzanine Sleepover, way back in January 2016, where we tracked it. Oh, it's um, very it's worthy terrible. of trashing. It's horrible. Oh, it's a horrible album. Um, this, this album peaked at number 66 on the Billboard 200 on September 7th, 91. Uh, would you like to know what number one that was that week? Please. Metallica's Black Album. That makes sense. Yep. Uh, overall, uh, Brainstorm, kind of shockingly, spent seven weeks on the charts. Um, it ended up being certified gold in the U.S. on October 91. In October 91, uh, and to this date in the U.S. sold about 500,000 copies, which I gotta say, uh, really overachieved, if you ask me. A big time, big time. And this is all basically on the strength of Bust a Move. That's how much traction that that single had. Because, oh my God. because with Busted Move, which was on the previous album, of course, Stole Cold Ryman. But because people were so familiar with uh, Young MC, they were like, oh. And including me, I was like, how how can you go wrong? It's Young MC, but it's like futuristic Young MC. <laughs> um, I had this on CD. This is my one caveat here is that I don't know if I bought this outright or if I got it via Columbia House. Ooh. In the end, I paid something. Yep. Um, so yeah, this is uh, a truly awful album. Uh, again, if you want to learn a bit more of our thoughts on it, track by track. Uh, episode 26 of the Mezzanine Sleepover. Yep. Um, I did find a review by uh, John Wilson and David Alroy, who have a site just chock full of reviews, and they're actually pretty good. They gave it two stars, and here's what they said. This was a major disappointment. Young MC took the reins as producer, but he doesn't have a lot of ideas, musically or lyrically. The single That's the Way Love Goes, an attempt to redo the jovial humor of Bust a Move, falls flat, and there are a couple of painfully long tracks, one of which is a PSA for clean living. 
uh, Life in the Fast Lane, and the other is Silly and Trivial, Inside My Head, not to mention the aptly named album filler. So, uh, so I'm looking over the track. So yes. he gets, like, Young MC gets super preachy on this album. Oh, God. Like, yep. I remember, so he's got a song called After School, which I, I feel like he's trying to treat it like the sequel to Principal's Office. But yes. It, but it's all like, and I think this happens in a few uh, a few of these songs, but it's basically like, oh, you know, we're a bunch of kids, and then we're fooling around, and then we leave school, and then somebody tries to sell us crack. <laughs> Like, out of nowhere. Um, yeah. He has a song called The Umdy Dumb Song. Oh, my God. Uh, album filler, as you said. Keep, keep it, it in your pants about not not humping. And, yes. and those two songs, Inside My Head and Life in the Fast Lane, like, they're over yeah. seven minutes each. <laughs> I know. It's craziness. Oh, this album. Craziness. It's so bad. Um, we talked about it in our... In our um, in our little intro there where we talk about, um, you know, make sure to support these artists. Don't, <laughs> I, uh, don't. I, this is like a cautionary tale, folks. I bought this tape when I was, uh, on a trip uh, with my parents to, uh, originally to Minneapolis and then to the, uh, to Mount Rushmore. Nice. So, uh, you went the other way. Yeah. Yeah. We went to Minneapolis first then to Mount Rushmore. Speaking of Minneapolis. Yep. Uh, and tying it into a theme that's going to go throughout this uh, this podcast. Yes. Throughout this episode. Um, we will be uh, heading out there in July for just for a couple of nights. All got the tickets to Paisley Park. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so excited for the tour. Uh, you're going to have to tell me all about it. You're going to beat me there. Damn it. Yes, I am. It doesn't happen very often. All right. Uh... Um, yeah. So uh, back to Young MC Brainstorm. Uh, awful. All right, let's go to the next track. Here we go. Here we go. Are you the guys on the beach who hate everything? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, they have some sort of hip music that I don't understand. It's so maddening. I, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to fill us in on who that is as well. I know some people will know. I don't know who is that. Okay, well that. So on, uh, what was her name? Uh, was it Julia Sweeney on Saturday Night Live? Play, okay. Played a character called Pat. Oh, is that Pat? Yep. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Yeah, so that uh, was like that was like the big thing at the time. Well, not, it really wasn't the big thing. No, it was just kind of a thing. Uh, was it Julia Sweeney? There was a movie. I'm trying to think if she was the one that did Pat. Maybe it wasn't her. I don't know, but that's that. But that is Pat. Pat. The the joke is, you don't know if Pat is a. Uh, oh yeah, it was Julia Sweeney. You don't know if Pat is male or female, and that's the joke. And that's the joke. And they managed to make a movie out of it. Ridiculous. Uh, the album Ugly Kid Joke. Yes. Coming up with their uh, 1991 EP, as ugly as they want to be. Uh, this uh, EP peaked at number four on the Billboard 200 on April 11th, 1992. Um, would you like to know what number one was that week? <laughs> I would like to know. Please tell me. Speaking of Saturday Night Live, uh, the Wayne's World soundtrack. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. Uh, yeah. And would you like to know, as a special bonus, what was number 38 that week? <laughs> yes, please. I, I I can only guess. <laughs> Prince of the New Power Generation's Diamonds and Pearls. That's, it's interesting that you would tell me that, that random number. <laughs> I just picked it out of midair. Oh, and look, it happened to be Prince. Uh, as Ugly as They Want to Be is notable for being the first EP 
to be certified double platinum by the, by the RIAA, uh, which it was on May 18th, 1992. Um, this is, uh, I, I, remember, I remember buying this in uh, about May or June 1992. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what compelled me. See, I didn't watch a lot of videos at the time, and I didn't really listen to a lot of radio. So I don't know if it was like the album with the, with the kid giving the finger on the front. Uh, or I was, I don't know what got me interested in it. It is truly horrid and putrid and terrible. Um, it's got a, some kind of black Sabbath cover. That's absolute trash. Uh, it's got Madman, which is a terrible song, but like it's uh it would be a really cool wrestling theme. Uh-huh. Uh, other than that, um, it's, it's just in that vein of, of like stupid comedy rock that sucks. Well, it has, it has their cover of cats in the cradle. Uh, that is on their actual full-length album. Ah, that came out the next year. Um, but yes, they they did have that song to come. I did not buy that album. Uh, this was enough for me. Luckily, it was an EP, so I probably I, I had it on CD, so I probably spent ten or eleven bucks on it. Uh, this uh, I think the big thing with Ugly Kid Joe was like for nineteen ninety one, so badass and edgy. I guess so. It's like yeah. oh, you're singing a song about how you hate someone and. The kid is giving the finger on the album cover, like, woo, like we're really pushing it, just like The Simpsons a few years earlier. Like that was edgy stuff. Yes, indeed. You know, I had, um, I had, I had, I had friends whose parents wouldn't let them watch The Simpsons. I mean, don't have a cow, man. He carries a he carried a uh, a slingshot in his back pocket. Oh, bad kid. All right, I, I caramba. Um, yeah. So back to Ugly Kid Joe. I mean, really, just a bad purchase. It did spend 34 weeks on the Billboard 200, which would explain how it sold so much. Um, the, Chicago Tri- the Chicago Tribune in uh, April 92 had this to say in their one-star review. <laughs> this little copycat band has found success with the single Everything About You. The single, which has a novelty song kind of appeal, pretty much sums up the entire 25-minute disc, which is a cacophony of funk, rap, lame choruses, and old jokes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I pretty mean, much. I mean, also accurate. Yeah, well, no, that's that's the best part about these reviews. These reviews are going to get better and better as we go along. I can't wait. Uh, and we... that's uh, Ugly Kid Joe, another bad purchase by me. Here we go, number four. Yeah. What is going on here? It's a song from the future. <laughs> So uh, this is uh, Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, the name alone, right? Yep. Uh, this is their album, Are You Normal, uh, released on November 3rd, 1992. Um, it peaked at number 183 on the Billboard 200 on November 28th, 92. Uh, you want to know what was number one that week? Yes, please. The Chase by Garth Brooks. All right. Yeah. Uh, just randomly, do you want to know what was number 32? Yes, I do. I, I-, I can't wait. Uh, Prince, the new Power Generation's love symbol album. Oh my goodness. Such uh, crazy. Uh, Ned's Atomic Dustbin, uh, Are You Normal, spent one big giant week on the Billboard 200. Um, all Music gave it three stars. That's all I found really for reviews. I remember I remember going to Musiplex downtown in Winnipeg here, and they had listening stations, but I didn't fucking listen. What I must have liked the cover or thought it would be cool. It was not. So, like, did you did you hear anything from this album before you bought it? No. 
Was it the name I of the band? I have no idea what I was doing. It's one of my great... Okay. Um, I have no idea what possessed me to buy it. Um, you know, back then, 92, uh, money to buy CDs, very scarce. Yeah. And uh, I was, I remember listening to it and being extremely dissatisfied and embarrassed. <laughs> like, just so upset with yourself for making such a poor life choice. <laughs> this was the first one where I was like, this was a really bad choice. Like, this was like me trying to, like, I guess, stretch out a little bit and explore. But, like, really, I mean, listen, it's one thing to stretch out and explore these days where it's so easy to get a hold of anything. Every album is on fucking YouTube to listen to the, in, in its entirety before you decide if you want to purchase it. But here it's just like, just like, let's just take a crack at this one. Ugh. Ugh. And it's it's bad. It's so fucking boring. I, I don't know if I heard something about it and read something about this band in a, in a magazine. I mean, they're a UK alt rock kind of band but it's so bad did any of did any of their songs make it onto your mixtapes no no way that bad not even one not even one so and this is when i was making mixtapes so i took this album i couldn't even find a track worthy of jamming onto like you know the second you know half of side b on a tape Oh, Jesus. I mean, so bad. So, you know, again, when we were talking about reasons why you buy these albums, sometimes you want to take the risk because, like, if you hit, then you're yeah, like, yeah. then you're so cool to yourself. Oh, yeah. And listen, I found a few gems in my day. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I've, I've found some, but like, this is not it. I, uh, I discovered, well, I didn't, I picked up Ben Folds 5 because I like the album cover. And then I, it prompted me to give it a listen on the, uh, listening machine at, uh, at nice. Musicplex, and I was like, "All right, let's try this," and uh, very happy with my decision. But already smarter than me because you listened to it, <laughs> and I used to listen to a shit ton of stuff. I don't know what the, I, there were times where I would, where I would, you know, filter things out where I was like, "Nah, this isn't good." You know, it's not like I was an idiot all the time. I just, just sometimes. I mean, this was a fucking. This was like two weeks of allowance. <laughs> uh, should we go to track five? Yeah, let's go. We're going to 1993. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> I know. Oh, God. Oh, go. So this is a band called Cell. Um, <laughs> their album is entitled Slow Blow. So it's S-L-O asterisk B-L-O. Nice. Like Mo Flow. <laughs> exactly like Mo Flow. Um, released on January fifth, nineteen ninety three. It didn't chart anywhere. I bought this on cassette. Um, I may have heard something, but I'm not so sure that I did. Um, in 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 Spin in two thousand thirteen. Okay, in two thousand thirteen, Spin magazine did a piece called "Blame Nirvana: The Forty Weirdest Post Nevermind Major Label Albums." Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. This was on there, and here's what they had to say. <clears throat> Swirly, raspy New York indie rocker Cell, whose drummer was once Sonic Youth's guitar tech, had released one seven-inch on Moore's Ecstatic Peace label before he whisked them into the major label machine for the remainder of a rather short career. Their debut, Slow Blow, is guitar thick and the vocals are buried, achieving the spirit of what the majors were looking for with none of the impact. The sound of this record is anything but immediate. Uh, I may have seen something about Cell um, in a magazine. I did like the cover. It was essentially like a big fat like wah guitar pedal with a cool picture of an angel on top of it. Uh, I don't know 
why I was buying albums on a whim in 93. Such a mistake. This, I just, this, there's nothing special about this song. No, there, there isn't. This is a song called Fall, and they're all like this. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing to this. No. It's not, no. it's so, not like it's hideous. It's just so no. generic. Again, what you need to take into account here is these albums were bought at a time where buying albums was not easy. Yes. So it gets a lot easier to get to find bad, bad, bad albums as we go along here. But uh, this was this this stung especially because uh, and again none of these songs I I didn't include them on any mixes. I basically it sat on my little tape my cassette shelf and uh, and now it's lost forever. I don't know where it is. All right, uh, track six. Oh, now it gets now it's gonna now it's now it's gonna get start to get really bad. Here we go. Who's a shithead? You are. That's funny. No. These intros are amazing. This is a thing you spend money on. So this is Raw Fusion. Uh, the album. Here we go. The album Poochified Funk. Uh-huh. Uh, released on April 26, 94. Um, it peaked at number 71 on Billboard Top R&B Hip Hop Albums uh, on May 14, 1994. Number one that week on the uh, Top R&B Hip Hop Albums, the Above the Rim soundtrack. All right. And uh, this one spent two weeks on the chart. Raw Fusion, of course, one of my... Uh, one of my favorite finds uh, in terms of albums, live from the Stylitron from 1991. Um, love it. And Raw Fusion, of course, is Money B and DJ Fuse from Digital Underground. Uh, they they then put out this absolute piece of trash. <laughs> <laughs> you trash. You, you trash. Um, I was a huge fan of the debut. Um, I bought this a few years after this was released. So I wasn't, it was, I didn't buy this in 94. I probably bought this in 96 when I found it. I, I probably spent too much money on it. Uh, this song, of course, is called the Doodoo MCs. Uh-huh. Very scatological. Um, All Music has given it two stars, and they said this. Released three years after their good, if patchy debut, Hoochified Funk doesn't show that much growth has occurred with the duo. Nothing is as fun as the average Digital Underground song, and the duo unfortunately opted to shed most of the reggae splashes that helped color their debut uh, album. If anything, this album proves that Money B's light boyish rasp is best suited for a supporting role. Ooh. And when you can get all music to kind of be like, this is kind of bad. You're, you know, <laughs> they'll they'll give they'll give three stars to anything. Oh, I know, right? Um, I uh, and also this uh, song does not have a Wikipedia page. It does not. Which is no. amazing. And the album doesn't either. Um, there's not much to say. It's really bad. Um, I had. When I, I didn't even know they had a second album because, of course, Raw Fusion, if you're, in, if you're like in 1994, um, there's not a lot of information out there about, about groups like Raw Fusion anymore. So um, when I saw that they had a second album, I was psyched, and it was so bad. How did you find out? And I just saw it one day at some music store. I was I, like, well, I got to get it. I've had that and happen, too. Awesome. You just kind of walk in and, like, kind of unannounced there's just this album a new album from a band you like and yeah yes. sometimes your instinct is well gotta got grab it well yeah Ugh. i remember being so proud of having their their debut because i had to go to the states to buy it 
and spent like $30 on it. And it was so exciting that I had this in my hands and it was really good. And I really liked it. It had that digital underground kind of funk feel to it. This does not. It's so bad. So uh, another one, another one for the, uh, for the vault here. Um, my next one is a terrible album, but goddamn, the fucking song I'm going to play is awesome. Here we All go. Right. better <laughs> so we got suicidal tendencies uh-huh uh with their album uh suicidal for life the uh, song here is don't give a fuck <laughs> which i legitimately like uh-huh um uh this was this album suicidal for life released on june 14th 1994 peaked at number 82 surprisingly on the billboard 200 in July of 94. Uh, number one that week, would you like to know? Uh, I guess so. Yes, please. Uh, June, July 2nd, 1994. Number one, the Stone Tall Pilots is purple. Number one? Up. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, but Big Man, speaking of purple. Uh-oh. Would you like to know what number 113 was that week? <laughs> yes, please. The Beautiful Experience EP by Prince. Oh, amazing. Uh, overall, the album Sewell Set Up for Life spent three weeks on the chart. Again, I'm shocked that it spent that much time on a on a chart of any kind. Um, I bought this just to buy it. Um, I had all the al- other Suicide Tendencies and Infectious Grooves albums at the time, so I thought I better add it. Uh, Don't Give a Fuck is on there. I don't know if it's the opening track. I, uh, I, I, I'm, look, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. It is not. No. Uh, invocation. Yes. Was the first track. Don't Give a Fuck was track two. Yeah, so uh, I'm feeling like Invocation might be short. Yeah, it's a minute long. Uh, yeah, so I got to this right away, and I was like, all right, this is, this is all right. It's kind of, like, it's kind of funny. And uh, it just goes fucking downhill. So like, which, hard. I want to know, which song did you know that this album was, like, done for? Was it No Fucking Problem, <laughs> Suicycle Motherfucker, <laughs> Fucked Up Just Right, or No Bullshit? You know what? I don't know, but um, it's definitely a um, it, it's definitely a steaming pile of garbage. Though, I, oh, yeah, a song that I'm a little curious about. A yes. six minute track. It's all. What else could I do? <laughs> uh, all music gave it one star, and you know what? They kind of explained something here. All right, uh, one and a half stars. Sorry. Um, they said Suicidal Tendency's long relationship with Epic came to an end in 1990, uh, and with 1994's Suicidal for Life, and as expected, the breakup was not a pretty one. The label's inability to introduce any of the group's groundbreaking albums to a significantly wider audience certainly didn't sit well with um, vocalist Mike Mir, who decided to run through the motions while being as gratuitously offensive as possible on this contractually necessary release. Ah, uh, Okay. Always, it comes down to, we owe you one more album before we can leave, and this is what they deliver. Yeah. And you know what? They were off the cliff probably in 1992. It was done. Like, with uh, with um, uh, Art of Rebellion was their kind of peak. Hmm. And it went downhill from there for them. And um, they kind of never recovered. And this album is just kind of, it's the first one in a list of, long list of albums I don't give a shit about. Uh, apparently, as of nineteen or two thousand and eight, the album has been demoted to a budget release. Nice. So there you go. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Fantastic. Uh, should we go to the next one? Yeah. Now we're kind of getting into you know uh, we're getting into the ninety five ninety six era 
and now I, you know, now we've got, you know, you can, I got, got a job here and there, working a little bit, making some money, and uh, now the purchases start to get terrible, even worse. I mean, here we go. Here's now. Here's 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 my. Uh, here's I bought this in '96. Here we go. Such a quintessential like '90s. Yep, like riff. Um, we got Jars of Clay. Oh. Uh, their self-titled debut released on October 24th, 1995. It peaked at number 46 on the Billboard 200 on June 15th, 96. Would you like to know what number one was that week? <laughs> you know what? I would like to know. Uh, just picture yourself on the uh, on the on the Red River cruise there uh-huh. on summer of '96 style. The score by the Fugees. Oh goodness! <laughs> this album, though, spent seventy goddamn weeks on the charts. Uh, it was certified double platinum in the U.S. Uh, in 1999, with over two million copies sold. I want to tell everybody listening: I didn't know this was Christian rock when I bought it. Uh huh. Sure. Uh, this was bought during the infamous summer of '96. I mean, love song for a savior didn't uh, clue you in that this was. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I even looked at the song titles. Uh-huh. I might have heard this one track and been like, oh, this, is, this, is, this sounds okay. It's not okay. It's this, this is serious pap. Um, summer of 96, would you like to tell our listeners uh, what that means when we reference the summer of 96 and music? Uh, <laughs> we basically would like repeatedly go downtown. Yes. Uh, to the used CD stores, and there were a number of them at the time. Uh-huh. And we would we would like drop hundreds of dollars at a time. Yep. Like we would we would pick up like fifteen CDs at a time used. <laughs> Terrible. But, uh, but also awesome. Uh, and that's where I picked up all my tragically hip CDs. Me too. So there you go. Yeah. So whenever we reference summer of '96, uh, it's all about just uh, just buying indiscriminately buying music. Um, again, this is a this is just some of the. Uh, most pedestrian garbage music ever. Um, it's a, it's such a bad album. I do have a, a glowing review. Would you like to hear it? Uh, yes. A uh, Christian rock website called Cross Rhythms uh-huh. gave this album, guess how many stars? I can tell you how many because I'm looking at the Wiki. <laughs> 10 out <laughs> ten of 10. Stars. 10 stars. Saying a, this is what they said, a thrilling demonstration that America's Christian counterculture can produce pop rock of the highest quality. Oh. Now, of course, those already familiar with this gem um, will point out the slight musical debt to R.E.M. No. While other longer-in-the-tooth buffs might want to mention the band of folk rockers owe a smidgen to the California soft rock sound of the 70s. Yeah, not really. But whatever their influences, these guys have come up with an album chock-a-block with songwriting craft, production skill, <laughs> creamy harmony. <laughs> All right. And and luminous discipleship, of course. <laughs> Impossible to pick a favorite, and there's even a secret hidden track for trivia nuts. Oh, um, I'm so mad just reading that. But creamy uh, harmonies is I, tremendous. I mean, all music gave it four and a half stars, and I guess this uh, <laughs> five stars out of five from Jesus Freak Hideout. <laughs> so there you go. Well, it was it sold two million copies, so. I guess two million people can't be wrong. I, you know what? It took me about. It, it didn't take me long to be like, oh, this this just feels wrong that I have this. Oh, well, your favorite album. 
Did you put Look at, in? Hey, listen, we're gonna, listen. It's gonna get worse, my friend. Did any of these go onto uh, in onto your tapes? Uh, what, this song might have, because I kind of liked it uh-huh. at the time. I, I don't know if anything else did. I mean, it was so. Yeah, De- number... definitely not the savior one. Two times platinum, Jesus. All right, well there you go. Uh, jars of clay. <laughs> so in the summer of '96, I I also bought this, and this might be my worst my worst purchase ever. Here we go. In 96? Yeah, now, listen, this is, not, this is a compilation album, okay? So, so, so bear with me on this one. This is The Lightning Seeds. Okay. Okay. It is a, 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 a compilation album called Pure that was released on May 6, 1996. Uh, the song Pure, which is what you're hearing right now, was previously on the band's early EPs and hit number 31 on the Billboard Hot 100 on July 29, 1990. Um, it's a UK band. Um, but the compilation, you know when they when a band will have a bunch of EPs and, and singles or B-sides and they put it on an album like years later? Yep. So the problem with this one was, and this is why it's so bad, this is, this is my, my worst story. So it's the summer of 96. Uh-huh. Okay, so we've laid the groundwork on, on, on that summer and our, and our music purchases. I'm at Music World in St. Vitale Center. Uh, at the time, there was, what, two music stores in St. Vitale Center? HMV. Yep. And uh, Music World was, like, by, like, what? It was Eaton's at the time? Anyway. Um, so I, I saw this album, and it's uh, Pure by the Lightning Seeds. But it's all filed in with... CDs by the band Pure, who I like. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. So I thought it was a new album by Pure. You thought <laughs> You thought you're like, oh, Lightning Seeds by Pure. Yes. Because wow. it wasn't it didn't say the Lightning Seeds, it said just Lightning Seeds, and it said Pure, and it was filed by the by the fucking clerks at the store with Pure. So in in along with Purifinalia and Generation Six Pack. Is this fucking album? I, I thought this is the best day. That's so fucking amazing. <laughs> I uh, I went and I, I I I played it. I was it was such a giant disappointment. I can only imagine you put that that CD in. Like you haven't even heard a song from it, right? Like nope. you wouldn't have heard a single. So you're like, oh my god, like I'm ready for a wonderful surprise. <laughs> and I thought it was a little weird that there was a song called Pure because Pure, the band. Uh, already had a song called Pure on their first album. All right. I don't know, maybe it's a reworking or something. Like, I gave it some fucking thought, but, you know, I bought it. Uh, this is one where I didn't try and take it back. I, I all threw it in the garbage. <laughs> you know what? I will say this. Uh, Lightning Seeds, go check out Life of Riley. Uh, yeah. Good song by the Lightning okay. Seeds. Yep. Well, anyway, um, this, is, this was my worst one because it was just pure... Um, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> uh, All music gave it four stars. I don't know. I didn't really listen to it. Um, I gave it a cursory listen. It took me a few tracks though to figure it out. <laughs> At first, I was extremely upset. Yeah, so like what did they, did they change their sound? I'm all. What happened? <laughs> they all, it all sounds like a fucking '80s UK band. Yep, which they are. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it uh, it uh, I. It's it's one of my biggest shames. You know, so, uh, here's the worst part. This was '96. 
Yes. So you were like an adult when you did this. Yes, I was. Yeah, it's not like you were 13 and got fooled. Like you no, were no, a no. grown ass man. No, 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 no. I got fucking blinded by the light, brother. <laughs> All right, uh, track 10. All right, we're going to jump ahead to 1999, though I bought this after 1999, but here we go. All right. So, this is a band called Stroke Nine. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. The album "Nasty Little Thoughts" was uh, released on September seventh, nineteen ninety nine. It was certified gold in the U.S. on April twenty first, two thousand. Um, Stroke Nine. Let's see. I heard a song by them on the uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back soundtrack called "Kick Some Ass." Oh no! I thought I saw this CD and thought, let's buy it. Jesus. Like a uh, goddamn fool. I'm like Happy Gilmore. A uh, goddamn fool. <laughs> I'm looking at this cover too. Absolutepunk.net gave it 90%. Oh my god. This album is so junk. It's so bad. Uh, Sputnik Music gave it five stars and called it a one of a kind masterpiece with some of the best lyrics ever produced. And I'm like, come the fuck on. Mm-hmm. Here Oh, those lyrics push me. This is fucking modern rock douchebaggery. Uh, just another one where it's like, I liked, I kind of like the song by these guys. Let's buy their earlier album just because. Uh, I've done that before too. You you have and an album, really, and I was like, this is this is dog shit. Like you have an album that that like a breakout album, and you're like, oh, they put out something before it, and you know sometimes that works out nicely, and sometimes it's it's fucking garbage. Uh, this is a song called City Life. It's it's probably the best song on the album, and there's it, it's it's not a high watermark. <laughs> so Stroke Nine, highest recommendation to avoid. Um, here's uh, here's one that was released in '98, but I got probably around 2001. Oh my god, this is bad. Here we go. <laughs> oh no. Uh, I believe I had this as well. <laughs> uh, this is uh, an album called The Antidote by The Wise Guys. Oh, no, you know what? No, I did not have this album. I, I had this track, though. God. So, released October 5th, 1998, originally. Um, peaked at 133 on the Billboard 200 on September 1st, 2001. So, you know, not quite the worst thing to happen that month. <laughs> yep. Uh, would you like to know what was number one that week? Uh, yes, please. I, I probably should have bought that instead of this. Uh, the Now That's What I Call Music 7 album. Ooh. Was would this... you like to know what number 85 was that week? Uh, yes, please tell me. The very best of Prince. My good, by Prince. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. Yeah, by Prince. Um, the Antidote uh, spent a whopping nine weeks on the chart. This is one of my all-time worst purchases. This album is such nonsense. It's it's extremely bad. Uh, this song is is semi-catchy as like a, a a dance kind of song from the era. But my God, the album is so 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 bad. And it really, it's a little out of character for me. Purchasing this kind of music. I mean, we uh, both we were sight unseen. We were we were both a little like uh, 
a little struck by the dance music uh, bug at that time, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I usually didn't buy albums. Well, like really, like like okay. Well, no, it's not entirely true. I probably bought a lot of Chemical Brothers. Uh-huh. And, and, uh And uh, and and uh, Crystal Method and things. But <laughs> this one, these fucking smiling jackasses with their little fucking tams on on the cover, terrible. There you go. All right, next track. Well, hang on. Uh, oh. I, there's not much in terms of reviews, but I, I have one, a one-star review from Amazon I'd like to read. Oh, please. <laughs> I didn't write down the name of the person, so this is unattributed. I bought this CD for Start the Commotion, which is the song we heard, and it rocks, but the other 14 tracks were a disappointment. Start the Commotion seems out of place with the rest, hip-hop, or whatever that is called. I say trash, but you decide. <laughs> Please listen before you buy. Yeah, that's a good. That's actually really good uh, advice. Was I that, did buy this for the one. Uh, what's that? Was that written by you? <laughs> I did buy this for the one tune mentioned, so I do not feel that I got gypped. Start the commotion delivers five full minutes of driving slash listening pleasure. Um, the song's not the worst song I've ever heard, but the album is so bad. So yes, on to the next one. Oh my god. Oh this. Oh. Yeah, just play, just play the next one. Cut my life into oh, no. pieces. <laughs> this is my last resort. Suffocation. No breathing. Don't give up. Fuck <laughs> 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 Fucking rotten. All right. So here, my here's the worst band name on this list. Papa Rose. Oh. The album is uh, Infest. Uh, released April twenty fifth, two thousand. It peaked at number five on the Billboard two hundred. On August 5th, 2000. Would you like to know what was number one that week? Uh, yes, I would like to know. Why? Why the uh, Now That's What I Call Music 4 album. Oh, wow. Those albums are uh, doing really well for themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Overall, Infest spent 65 weeks on the chart. Infest was certified three times multi-platinum in the U.S. On July 8th, July 18th, 2001, making it the highest selling album on my list today. Uh, did you buy this album because it had a funky-looking bug on the cover? It had a roach on the album. I actually don't know why I bought this. Uh, again, we're in a period where I'm kind of buying anything that looks interesting. I mean, the name should have told me to stay away. Again, I've, I've never really been like a radio or video watcher, radio listener or video watcher. So it kind of like, it's kind of weird. I get this, I get some of these weird albums in here where I'm like, it's, it's a little uncharacteristic. But, uh, oh my God, it's so bad. Um, I bought anything and everything because I was an idiot. And uh, it included albums like this steaming pile of shit. So that was my comment that I wrote. Uh, <laughs> the Grammy for Best New Artist, this album. Oh, man. How did that not make it on our on our Grammys uh, show that we did on the Mezzanine Sleepover? I mean, as bad as these are, some of the Grammy songs that we played were much worse. <laughs> oh, they were much worse. Uh, I have a review from our pal Robert Piscow. Oh, beautiful. He gave Infest two stars, which is a really bad rating for him. He said, singing or rapping, they speak truth for their not yet dysfunctional cohort. So I don't know. <laughs> that's it? That, that's Chris Gow. That, right. That's what he said. Thanks, uh, Chris yeah, That song, Last Resort, highest recommendation to avoid. I mean, you can't avoid oh, it. Oh, my God. I would, imagine, that... I would imagine you can't avoid it if you listen to the radio in Winnipeg still. Oh, it's probably on like every every couple days, right? That's just on right now. <laughs> Uh, you're about to get very mad at my next one. Here, Here we, we go. go. 
Yo, this is the rock kicking it with the refugee <laughs> camp, and you're about to smell what the you rock did not. You bought this album, you fucking trash. <laughs> you trash. Uh huh. The Eclectic, Two Sides to a Buck. Uh, released August 22nd, 2000. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Week to number nine. Hey, what was, uh, do you want to know what the number one song was that week? Oh, wait. Oh, I didn't say it doesn't matter. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Week uh, number nine on the Billboard 200 on September 9th, 2000. Would you like to know what was number one that week? Yes, please. Uh, Nelly's Country Grammar. Okay. It's been 30 weeks in the charts. It was certified platinum in 2001. Again, this is me buying up trash for no reason. Well, you love The Rock. You like to smell what he was cooking. Actually, I didn't even know that The Rock was on a song until I until I looked at it and went, okay, interesting. Um, it was not interesting. Um, of course, this is It Doesn't Matter featuring The Rock. They also have a Kenny Rogers uh, dub plate song that's equally as, as awful. Um, Robert Criscow gave this an A minus. Oh, so he kind of liked it. Kind of liked it. He said last time uh, he merely claimed African diaspora. Here he casts his net wide enough to snare all of pop. If it'll have him, um, blah blah blah. He sings roughly but warmly and makes his, up as many hooks as he samples. A ploy. I'm glad he can afford one more way to mix things up. Blah blah blah. He kind of gives it a decent review. I disagree. It's really bad. And uh, definitely uh, earned its ranking in my worst album purchases of all time. Uh, should we go to number 14? Yeah, let's keep, let's, let's keep it going. I just, it's, it's, I'm like cringing. <laughs> I don't even know what's coming. Is it playing? Yep. Oh, no. Oh, God. What is oh. happening? <laughs> <laughs> It's fucking epic. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we got an Oh, we got a we got a crowd cheering. Oh, it's a crowd cheer. Here comes a helicopter. Oh. <laughs> yes. I mean, let, let's let's just remind everybody, at this point, you're like a full-grown adult. Yes, I am. All right. There's a band called Lit. Lit? Lit. Oh, you got and, the Lit album. This is an album called Atomic. Uh, it was released on October 16, 2001. Peaked number 36 on the Billboard 200 uh, on November 3rd, 2001. On November 3rd, 2001... Would you like to know it was number one that week? I, I would, but I'm still a little just... I'm just so sad that you bought Lit. Well, at least I didn't buy this, which hit number one. The compilation album called God Bless America. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Atomic spent four weeks in the charts. See, Atomic was Lit's second album. Their first was 1999's A Place in the Sun, which, of course, had my own worst enemy. Uh-huh. And which was terrible, but not quite as bad as this. Again... Just buying up things just to buy them. Um, why the hell not? I thought. Why not? Indeed. Uh, just modern rock with really no redeeming value. Um, 
E! Online gave this 5 out of 10, and they said record buyers will find nothing as good on a comic as the breakout bubblegum slacker, slacker punk of my own worst enemy. Um, it's just more of the same, and it's absolute garbage. And again, I'm laying it out on the line here. I've made some poor decisions. <laughs> they, uh, on the write-up for the uh, their other album, the first album there, they say the album was a massive influence on, and get this list, All American Rejects, American Hi-Fi, yes. Eve Six, and yes. Good Charlotte. Oh, amazing. Like, it's like I being like... I to say uh-huh. that, I, that with, with all these bad albums uh, around this same time, I mean, I'm buying a whole lot of good albums. So I would like I would like people to know that you know when you buy a lot of music and you're a little indiscriminate in your early twenties, like it's gonna happen. And by the way, I have to admit, of those four bands that I just mentioned, uh, yes. two of them I owned albums by. Of course you did. So you're, I, you you're allowed to sass me, but I I know I know the skeletons in your musical closet. Oh, I I mean I'm gonna have to do an episode because it's Absolutely. just it's just it's just so bad, <laughs> just so bad. Oh. Uh, in 2001, I got this album, which was released in 2000, and it is, I mean, I this one, it's like, I, I, I'm, did I just close my eyes and grab an album? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I just, I don't understand, like, the, the thing that I don't get about this mm. is that you knew what they were. Yeah. Like, there was already that album, I which I would have never touched, and you're like, the follow-up? <laughs> Better get that. Did you have? Did you have the other album? Oh yeah. Oh. But I think I might have reviewed it. Uh, I got it for free. Uh huh. Sure you did. Oh no, no, I might have. Uh huh. Listen, I'm laying it all out here. I know. All right. I'll be nice. Check, check this one. Oh, here we go. Eyes closed, probably. What's happening here? So this is a band called... You'll love this. Oh. Uh, Creed. Nickelback. Nickelback 2. <laughs> it's a, a group called Spine Shank. Ugh. I have no idea. I don't even know if I... When, when, I, when I had it, I was like, why did I get this? The album, The Height of Callousness. How did this happen? I don't know. Like, I... I... <laughs> <laughs> Who were you? <laughs> well, I wasn't listening to this. I'm album. looking at this album cover too. What? <laughs> I know. I don't know. Like, maybe I thought it was like Tool or something. I don't know. Um, it was definitely not like Tool. Uh, released October 10th, 2000. Peaked at 183 on the Billboard 200. So just squeaked in there. Um, number one that week. I'm not even gonna ask you. It was a Jaw Rule album. So God. that would have been better than this. Guaranteed. Um, my comment on this was this abortion of an album spent only a single week on the chart. It's frustrating for me to think of myself poning up the dough to buy a new metal monstrosity such as this. I, I don't. Uh, hey, r- recorded at Mushroom Studios in Vancouver. Ah. Go back to our heart episode. I mean, this one I remember distinctly being like, why, why did I do this? I don't. I don't understand what's happening in your life. No. Like I, no, I, don't, I don't. know either. I like. Is, is this Mega Mix? Like this. This. It must have been like a clone or a ghost who did this. Like I don't know. What... Uh, you know what's good about these? Uh, me going through these is when, when NME chimes in. 
Uh-huh. They had this to say about Spineshank and their album, mm. The Height of Callousness. You'd be very hard-pressed indeed to find a blander, more generic piece of corporate cock-sucking filth than this. Though <laughs> <laughs> well, they'd hate to admit it, Spineshank and their ilk are extremely close in concept to the boy bands that they so openly deride. Take four or five puppets, hook them up with a fancy producer, and watch the dollars roll in. It's depressing, wrong, and needs to be stamped out. If you find second-rate metal with a dance edge exciting, then you'll love this album. But if not, then you'll be very hard-pressed indeed to find a blander, more generic piece of corporate cock-sucking filth than this. Holy shit. That's where, sorry. The first line was a paraphrase, and I just copied and pasted it. Sorry, everybody. Uh, I the would... song is called New Disease. So you, so you didn't want to play Cyanide 2600? <laughs> it's too bad. Yes. I would have liked to have heard that. Oh my god. Uh, or if you got the Digipack, you got bonus tracks including <laughs> Asthmatic. Yes. The Punctured Lung Mix. Oh my god. Uh, I can't. Listen, this is not stuff I was really listening to. It was just stuff I happened to buy and was a waste of money. <laughs> it happens. Here's here's uh the song you heard off the top of the um the top of the show here. Here we go. What's happening here? So, so this is Big Dumb Face. Uh-huh. With their album Duke Lion Fights the Terror with uh, two exclamation points. Um, released March 6, 2001. The Wiki says it peaked at number 194 on the Billboard 200, but I actually can't, can't cross-reference that on Billboard.com. Okay. So I'm not so sure that fact actually exists. Uh, the album is shit. Duke Lion was kind of a silly song that I heard, and I was like, if there's a whole album of this, that's kind of novelty and funny. Um, it was not, because it was all, like, Limp Biscuit bullshit, because then what I later found out is the dude from Limp Biscuit like, is in this band, the guitarist. I, I don't understand what happened here, again. <laughs> so, what, what you just explained <laughs> to the whole world, yes. you heard this song. I thought it was kind of funny. And you were like, I could dig 45 minutes of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting. I mean, cool. Like, I, okay, you remember? Um, you remember that when? Uh, what was it? Ben Folds had that side group called Fear of Pop. Yes. It was kind of like I was kind of in that mode at the time where I bought that at the same time. Yeah. Like around the same time, and it was kind of that kind of like different sounding bullshit side project stuff. But I found out later that it was all West Borland from Limp Bizkit, and because I found out because the rest of the album is super heard, <laughs> and it's so bad. Um, Enemy brings the good with this two-star review. They said, well, you can't say he doesn't know his place because if you believed all new metalers were po-faced and riotously angry, the name Big Dumb Face, the solo project of Limp Biscuits, grease paint, heavy guitarist, Wes Borland, suggests a level of self-deprecating awareness you'd never expect from his boss, momentarily amusing in the way drop-drunk friends are when you're the designated driver. <laughs> Borland himself admits if he wasn't in Limp Biscuit, no one would pay any attention, forget his famous day job, and take him at his word. Oh. Which means ignore the album because it's bad. It's really bad. You know what? I thought it'd be kind of like this country tinge kind of ridiculousness that was kind of like arty. It's not. It's all. I, I mean, if, if you want to get that like country, you know, that country kind of stuff that's kind of humorous, get uh, Hazy yeah. Dixie. Well, yeah. I mean, but you 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 got to learn, right? Yeah. I mean, I I I mean, I'm telling you this 20 years later. So yes, lots of yes. hindsight. Lots of hindsight. All right. Uh, um, the next album, 
is uh, another piece of garbage from around 2001. It's getting really big theme here. Here we go. So, Big Bad. Yes. You remember a band called the Sprung Monkey? <laughs> I do. Uh, there was a song for all of you who don't know. Uh, there was a there was a compilation album in, uh, in what '96 called "Music for a Mother Ocean." Yes. And on there was a song called "Good Times" by Sprung Monkey, which was pretty awesome for 1996. And I guess in 2001, I saw they had an album, so I bought it. And um, it's a I, I wrote here that it's horseshit. <laughs> yeah, let's listen to it. <laughs> I mean, this song, I mean, I don't know what the rest of the album is. It's I, bad. I mean, this song, it's not my style, but, like, it fits the era. It does, but it's just more of this, and it's not its not fun in any way. <laughs> it's just it's a bad purchase. It's just a bad purchase. Well, Good Times was a pretty good jam, though. Good Times is a great jam. Uh, All Music gave this two stars. They said on Get a Taste, Sprung Monkey take their lessons from popular rocker Sugar Ray. Okay, great. Oh, I'm trying to brighten up their sound by turning down the distortion and throwing in record scratches and acoustic guitars. This might win them more fans, but it's further blurred their already derivative sound into an entire album that sounds like the filler found on teen movie soundtracks. That's fucking right on. Yeah, that you're right. It's like, <laughs> am I watching American Pie 3? Yeah. It's like so, they're da- they're dancing at the end and giving each other a little uh, little tips of the cup. Cup tips, cup tips. Oh my god! So the next three, the last three, are groups that I or artists that I that I've previously enjoyed, and they're just just these terrible albums. We jump ahead to two thousand three with this. Oh my god, dude, so bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just rotten fucking crap. <laughs> like, we got Everclear, uh, Slow Motion Daydream, uh, released on March 11th, 2003. It peaked at number 33 on the Billboard 200 in March of that year. Do you want to know what number one was that week? I do, please. Get Rich or Die Trying by 50 Cent. Nice. Uh, Slow Motion Daydream spent four weeks on the charts. It didn't even go gold. Like, Everclear is done at this point. Uh, this was a, I don't know how I didn't learn from those two fucking albums that were just absolute, absolute garbage packs. I mean, you know what? Like, obviously Everclear started okay and then got much worse very fast. Yes. Mm-hmm. But like, even with the stuff that you could call good by them, you should have seen this coming. Oh my God. Hey. Like you really? should, you should have just known that this was going to happen. I mean, we probably, I could have probably taken half the list and made it just Everclear albums. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a disgusting mess. It's putrid. Um, Robert Criscow gave this a bomb emoji. Nice. Nothing else written. <laughs> um, my favorite, well, this, this is one of my uh, favorite reviews. Over at the AV Club, uh, reviewer Stephen Thompson had this to say. He said, Everclear's songs from an American movie split into two flimsy albums, each sold separately in 2000. Mixed retreads of the same old themes with cheesy toss-offs. Words it established on their side to Art Alexakis's persona, often replacing the charismatic recovering addict with a smirking, uncutuous huckster. <laughs> I love it, the huckster. Um, the latter rears its ugly head only once in slow motion daydream, but on the but the offending single, which is this one, 
Volvo driving soccer mom. Oh. It's hard to forgive or forget. You see, when strippers and sluts who got gangbanged in the bathroom at my high school prom grow up and get married, they become the titular Volvo driving soccer moms. And just in case Alexakis's disapproval isn't clear from the title, he says that they have blonde, bland, middle-class Republican children, blonde, bland, middle-class Republican lives. I hate Art, Art Alexakis. Oh, Makes awful. me so mad. I bought this album. It's fucking trash. Um like just the absolute low point, even lower than those other two terrible albums they put out a couple years earlier. I mean, you didn't like the tracks Blackjack, oh. Science Fiction, yes, TV Show, or The New York Times. They, and these are actually worse than shit like fucking Baby Talk <laughs> off, off of their other albums. This is worse. Or, ra- or AM Radio. Oh, oh rotten. God. Rotten, rotten, rotten stuff. Um, let's jump ahead a couple years to 2005, and you know this band was going to have to be on here at some point, and I chose this as the worst one that I bought by them. Absolutely. <laughs> fucking rotten, like. <laughs> You 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 could have gone back many years before this. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, or go forward a few years too. It doesn't really matter. Uh, this is Weezer, everybody. The track is Beverly Hills. Um, the album is Make Believe, released on May 10th, 2005. It peaked at number two on the Billboard 200 on May 28th, 2005. The highest charting album on my list. Um, number one that week was Stand Up by the Dave Matthews Band. And uh, Make Believe somehow spent 47 weeks on the chart. It's so bad. It was certified platinum uh, later that year. And uh, like I said with Everclear, I mean, it could be any number of Weezer albums. Kind of post... I, I liked Maladroit. Maladroit. That was that was all right. Uh, but, you know, like, listen, it's uh, it's been just a steady stream of, of, of fucking diarrhea. It was a steep downhill slide at Hashpipe. I don't oh, give yeah. a fuck. That song is rotten dog oh, shit. Like, terrible. The, uh, that album, though, isn't bad. Green album's not bad. And Maladraw is a bunch of thrown together B sides and unreleased stuff. All right. And then after that, it's a true, like, it's a true free fall. They got a fucking album with fucking the dude who plays Hurley's face on it. <laughs> isn't it called they Hurley? Called, they, got, they got an album called Ratitude, which is an awesome title, but it's so bad. I'm trying to find Here's the Hurley album. <laughs> Early. Jesus. It makes me bad. <laughs> Fucking hate this uh, band. Weezer. Um, uh, it took us 19 albums, big man. But uh, we finally get to see what our pals at Pitchfork had to say. Oh, thank God. So you want to know what they gave this out of 10? Uh, I don't have it up, so yes, I do. Bring I, it up. I'm going to say that they gave it uh, 4. Well, you're actually not really close. They gave it 0. 0.4 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> I was 10 times more generous. <laughs> they said this, considering Weezer supposedly went through hundreds of songs and several discarded albums to arrive at this final product, the laziness of this songwriting borders on the offensive. Whether recycling dynamics from the band's back catalog or taking the easy, mo- easy mother goose rhyme, see every fucking song here. These 12 tracks sound as if they were dashed off in an afternoon's work, maybe with Rick Rubin holding the band at gunpoint. Oh, Jesus. 
the one half decent song on the record. This is such a pity fails to even maintain its status as a pleasant cars homage interjecting a guitar solo that sounds like it was cut from the original score to Top Gun. Uh, Make Believe is, I mean, in the last uh, 15 years or whatever, is one of the worst albums I've ever heard. (laughs) And so this might be the worst one on my list as as a total, like, kind of piece. It's really, really bad. Um, And uh, we're we're all worse for ever having heard it. (laughs) All right, last track. My last one is... is... I'm a little harsh with this one. We've talked about this in the sleepover before, so uh, let's just let's hear it. It's from 2011. Go. Eddie Vedder. Mm-hmm. In uh, 2011, uh, in May 2011, released an album called Ukulele Songs. Um, it peaked at number four in the Billboard 200, actually, in June of that year. Uh, number one that week was Lady Gaga's Born This Way. I wish I had that instead. Uh-huh. Uh, overall, it spent 13 weeks on the chart. Um, listen, I'll tell a little story. Our, our pal Mistopheles, the Blood Letter, yes, and I uh, used to sit around and like worry about an Eddie Vedder solo album. We're b- big Pearl Jam fans, and we'd be like, "He's gonna play that fucking ukulele, and it's gonna be terrible." And uh, fucking Eddie swerved us though in 2007 when he put out a very solid soundtrack to Into the Wild. Like it was a solid album, a lot of, a lot of acousticness, a little bit of ukulele, but overall. It was it was a solid album, but uh, tricked you. He fulfilled his destiny in 2011 with uh, ukulele songs. Such a catastrophe! <laughs> <laughs> it's just so disappointing. I just a catastrophe. <laughs> so great. Um, Pitchfork gave this 6.4 out of 10. They said, "Alas, 34 minutes is a perilously long time for most to spend alone with just Eddie Vedder, a ukulele, and his feelings for company." <laughs> Jesus, there's only eight tracks on this thing, isn't there? Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. 16. That's right. Yuck. (laughs) Uh, This would be the kind of the last album where I'm like, this was really bad decision by me. Uh, Also, if I but I just kind of bought it to complete the collection. But really, I wouldn't do that again. In Portugal, this went number one. Ah. And it sold 40,000 copies in Canada. Well, one of those is me. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, one of them is Mustaf. One of them has One of them was Mustaf, absolutely. Wow. And he did a solo tour. Go. Can you imagine going to this tour? <laughs> I can't imagine. Wow. Like, listen, I don't love acoustic tours. Like, I saw, I recently saw that good acoustic, and it was pretty good, but it wasn't like, it's not like super memorable when you see an acoustic tour. Especially like an artist that will do like more than one, like you, you've seen it before. I can't imagine an Eddie Vedder show like that with just him and his uke. <laughs> it would just be, it would just be fucking, just treacherous <laughs> to sit through. Be like bad for your health. Uh, but uh, that's that's my list overall. Terrible. But, um... <laughs> we gotta we gotta end with something. Uh, so how are you feeling now that you've you've. <laughs> Like you is has this been uh, good for you to kind of release all this, uh, all the troops? I, I kind of thought it would be cathartic in a way, but I, now I feel just so dirty. <laughs> it's like it's like you went to confession and felt like more of a pervert afterwards. No, it's like I went to confession and then the priest the priest molested me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to feel better and get some hail marys, and I get a whole lot more. <laughs> 
Well, um, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm gonna, I, I am going to copy your idea in a few weeks for sure. Uh, but it will not what do you be. Got for us next week, though? It will not be next week because next week I do have an album that is far better from all of these. Though, I mean, I'm going to give it a nice review, but maybe not as glowing as the, what we heard in our intro of the show. Uh, no, well, that's okay. Though there are some tracks that I will give glowing reviews to. There are some monster to. fucking tracks on this album that we're gonna, you're going to you're going to take us through. We're going to talk about songs from the big chair by Tears for Fears. So uh, yes, stick around for some '80s goodness next week. And uh, in the meantime, go to at uh, Albums Are Dead on Twitter and tell us what is the worst album you ever bought. And maybe oh, I'll geez. maybe I will uh, put the question out there gotta do it because uh, i want to know what some of the worst albums are out there and again i will share mine uh in a few weeks so uh in, until then i am slipping you're gonna five, make oh. yours look so fucking cool compared to mine I'll no oh no i'm i'm gonna be like oh i really don't like this uh this fucking uh, <laughs> this fucking uh talking heads album oh man this is the weakest pixies album of them all <laughs> Uh, no, you know what? It's gonna be it's gonna be bad. I mean, I, I, I one word for you, Chumbawamba. Oh yes, I love it. All yes, right, so uh, I am slip with five eyes or sleep. I'm at Megabix.com. We'll see you in a week with tears for fears. <laughs>